Let's make some money! My name is Matthew Kroll. And welcome everyone to New York's Bing Arena and the Real Steel Championship bout. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film that I've been dying to scream a line from for the past five years. Real Steel. This is a big one for you. I feel, um, I'm nervous about this one, to be honest with you. I'm, re- I'm pretty nervous about how this is all going to go down. Because this is this is your jam, right? This is, this uh, of any movie that we could potentially do. Sure. Is this the one? No. I mean, no. it's it's definitely one of the ones. Does that make right. sense? Um, right. And I have some interesting new thoughts having watched it now for the first time. And I think, I, I, to be fair, I think maybe I've watched it once between the time we started the podcast and today. Okay. Um, How many times have you seen it in total? Probably five, six, maybe. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Over the course. Because it came out in 2011. Yeah. Uh, soundtrack, very 2000. Well, soundtrack kind of like 2008. Uh, Do you want to know who's on the, who, who did some additional scoring for the movie? Oh, Danny Elfman, baby. No, no, he did the, Danny Elfman did the score. Did you, did you scroll the credits and see who did the additional Oh, scoring? I did not see additional, no. Oh, he did it for the Nookie. It was Fred Durst. <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> totally on brand. On brand. Oh my and, uh, Fred and, Durst is a director now, by the way, as well. Great. He, he did that John Travolta movie about like his number one fan. You know, like yeah. some guy's got a celebrity stalker or something like that. I can't remember what the movie was called. Hey, listen, if only we could fly. Uh <laughs> chocolate starfish. So um I'm very also excited. I feel like it's the proper time to talk about real steel. Because one, uh, I don't want to talk about anything that has remotely anything to do with the United States of America. And two, um, uh, it actually takes place canonically in the year of the devil 2020. Wow. No COVID in the movie, though. No COVID in the movie. fighting robots. So listen, they got some stuff wrong. But wouldn't you, (laughs) Shahir, if you had to choose between COVID world and the fall of democracy, possibly, and boxing turned into robots now what would you rather where would you rather live uh, i don't know i can get bubble tea delivered to my house which i really do like you also part- live you also live <laughs> two blocks from a bubble tea place <laughs> i am a monster like that do you know one of my most exciting things in in new york was getting ice cream delivered to me for the first time <laughs> i've never like, done that i've never, you've never done, that. done that i mean like, with a grocery dude- order yes no, 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 no. This was like, uh, there was an ice cream store down the block from me. And I was like looking online. I was like, and I found out they could deliver. And literally I ordered my ice cream and the guy from the store turned up at my door, handed me like my little two scoops of ice cream with chocolate nuts. And, and I was just like, this is, uh, we have, uh, we have reached the future. Jeez. Well, I mean, I, I I think I would personally rather live in the real steel universe, even if the main event did happen in the Bing arena. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. There's also an ad in there. I don't know if you caught it for an Xbox 720. Oh no, I didn't see that. Uh, which is so hilarious. By uh, the way, have you you have the new PS5? Is I that don't. Or? I just tweeted that the the, sh- the controller ah, is okay. sleeping. Uh, it's yeah. supposed to be delivered tomorrow. But uh, okay. I don't know. Have you had this experience here? Let's just talk about living in Queens real quick. Uh, yeah. It's being shipped by FedEx. So far, Sony's been great. Um, it's being shipped by FedEx, but I've had a problem at my home where often, I would say a solid 50-50% of the time, the FedEx person does not ring my bell and just leaves and marks mm. it as tried. Um, no other car- courier service, UPS, the mail, uh, anything else, ever has this problem. FedEx does. 
Um, so I'm going to put a sign on my door uh, being like, I'm home, ring FedEx, the bell. I'm home. Yeah. Don't leave. <laughs> Have you had that at all, or is it just my own little uh, conspiracy island? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have. In fact, we have a really good relationship with our UPS person, uh, Ernie, who's a lovely man. But that's different. That's UPS. Yeah, no, and and, and I, I think we have a pretty good relationship with our FedEx person as well. He seems like a nice guy. We see him all, all the time. But our UPS guy is like, my son loves our UPS guy. Like we've, gone, <laughs> we've chased him down the street to give him a gift for Christmas one year. And you know what happened? Oh, this is funny. We found that all the UPS people congregate around this one pizza place a few blocks from us, and they all gather there for lunch and pizza and we like accidentally barged in on them we felt like we were meeting like a secret you know, oh wow like a secret meeting of like the ups people okay. but it was lovely no the, our ups guy's great anyway oh. i'll keep you'll know you'll hear the scream of joy if i actually get it uh tomorrow. have i told you my story of how i got my ps4 no are we just gonna well, tell like each costco other stories story? now have, have i told you my costco ps4 story i feel like you're gonna Ah, oh, should I? No, this this story takes too long. I think it takes too long. It'll di- divert. Bonus us. episode. But sign up for the Patreon. We don't have sign one. up for the Patreon. So but when, I have such do... a great story about okay. how I got my PS4 w- uh, with Costco. We will tell you that story if and when <laughs> we ever do a Patreon. Um, All right. Okay, so we, we, have some, have an email. we have some housekeeping, yeah. We have some housekeeping, so uh, if you do want to hear my um, PS4 Costco story, maybe you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod, and uh, I'll tell you it uh, via email, uh, you know, because we don't have a Patreon. But Laura emailed us in. Hi, Laura. Uh, with a response to uh, my feelings of being dead inside uh, during our recording of his house, which was last week, uh, where I said jump scares really aren't doing it for me anymore. Uh, and Laura writes in, Shahir, I am totally the same with jump scares. But I found a newish trope in horror that's starting to work for me. They do it in Bly Manor, Hill House, and Hereditary, where there's just unexplained things in the background. Attention is really brought to them, but once you spot one, you're constantly looking out for the other little Easter eggs. And I realized this mindset of looking for ghosts in the background hmm. actually had me doing this in real in real life, sort of subconsciously. Like, I actually found myself double-checking dark corners before realizing what I was doing. Anyway, just thought I'd share my enjoyment of the Where's Waldo trend of horror coming in. Have you noticed any uh, or enjoyed any other examples like this? Uh, I love Bly Manor. Hope you're enjoying it. And also... Congratulations on the election. So relieved. Um, thank you, Laura. We, we really did our part. It was our election, and uh, we're still cleaning up the mess. So I will that. say this, uh, Laura. Uh, I found out about uh, Pennsylvania flipping uh, five minutes after I drove into the state. Whoa, so wow. so uh, I will just say, uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> it was your it was your it job. was the weight of just driving it no it was just a weird time and i will say this and this is something that I've, I've i hope this makes people feel better driving in i was only there for a day driving in i was in deep trump country tons of signs uh and driving out about 70 percent of those signs were gone really um so i don't know again that's such a small little thing on uh, three different roads in pennsylvania but like I think I need to be constantly reminded that though 71 million people voted for this doofus, I don't <laughs> think more than like a, a, a cool mill are actually militant and insane. Um, ugh, so, ugh. but hey, you know, rock and roll democracy. Um, All right. Regarding the question of where's Waldo ghosts in movies, I think the one I can really remember that I know that they played uh, really strongly was in Twin... I believe it was in Twin Peaks. Okay. Where David Lynch had a character just hiding behind a stairwell. 
or something along those lines. And it was like never quite explained, but this, they just panned over this and there was this character just sitting there who we didn't quite know or understand. That's that's my first recollection of that kind of thing. I love it in um, The Haunting of Hell House. You could see characters all the way through that. Um, Bly Manor, I got to admit, I, I like the show. I'm not in love with the show, so I'm not really, I'm, I, I don't find myself committed to the show in any way. Um, so those are the ones I can really, I'm sure there are, are going to be other examples of like completely hidden characters or, you know, characters, uh, you know, hiding in the back of scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head though, other than that one from Twin Peaks. I remember there was a whole thing about that one character. I can't think of, I, like, I do always like it when it's in horror films or, or shows, and I haven't watched, um, either of those, of those series, uh, Hill House or Bly Manor. Um... There's a lot in Cabin in the Woods, like hmm. that sort of happens a little bit in the background, or or not exactly what Laura's describing, but I yeah. do like it when I see it because right. it is yeah. something that's like you're kind of I like it when you have to stare at a frame for a long time and then you sort of finally get it if that's a, a lighting thing or if it's sort of blending into the background, etc. Um, right, it's a very cool uh, thing. So if that that's that's the if a jump scare is a sudden thing. Right. Yeah. Then I guess this is a um, a still this is scare. An easy tension. Right. Like I mean, you you would say that in the background of um, John Carpenter's Halloween, you often saw Mike Myers kind of just standing there, and then you know, and, and then the characters characters would turn around and he wasn't there. So it's I think it's and that to me is is a little more unnerving. I kind of like that more. Yeah. Like Where we know something and the and the character doesn't. I don't know. Thanks again for writing us in, Laura. Appreciate that. Uh, we've also got an email uh, or voicemail. What? Uh, we're in direct relation to Real Steel, which we'll play during the conversation, uh, but which will begin right now, I guess. Is it beginning right this very moment? Uh, let me just check the clock. Three, two, one. Okay, Real Steel. Uh, Matt, 2011. <laughs> what a this year. This is a movie for you. I, I, look, I'll tell you why I'm nervous. I know this movie matters to you. Uh -huh. I also have a corresponding movie that came out in 2011, and I think a lot about the the way I, the analogous feelings I would have about that movie if we were discussing it. And What's that's, that movie? Um, Gavin O'Connor's uh, Warrior, which is a fighting right, movie which came right, out right, in 2011. Right. Uh, 2000, yeah, 2011. Um, and I like I wonder if there's just this this beautiful symmetry of there, there couldn't be any more of a Matt movie versus a Shahir movie in Warrior versus Real Steel. But at the same time, they're both like sporty, usually like easy movies for us. Oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, know, that's they're, why they're I like it. Look, yeah, a hundred percent. And 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 rewatching it, this is a solidified this point as well. When I start singing the praises of this film, and I will. Um, it is not, uh, to say that it does not have flaws and, or that it is not cheesy. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I in fact think the cheese is one of its strengths. Uh, cheese is a wonderful flavor when used correctly. And, okay. uh, I, I think w would I, th it's kind of different, right? Because like, again, you could look at a film that I really love, like Mad Max Fury Road, where I'm like, oh man, if a lot of films learned the lessons and sort of told stories in the way that Mad Max Fury Road does into their own little twists. Like, I think that would make better storytelling and better mm -hmm. films. This is not one of those cases. Real mm -hmm. Steel is a is an, a, a beautiful chrome anomaly that should not be as ent entertaining or enjoyable to me as it is, and yet here we are in the <laughs> Bing arena. So, um, it, it, it's, it's, I am at the same time in love with it as yeah. I am 
enamored and confused at <laughs> why. Okay. Well, um, let's dig into that. Tell tell me what Real Steel, directed by Sean Levy from 2011, is all about. Well, I am Debeur says, in the near future, robot boxing is a top sport. A struggling ex-boxer feels he's found a champion in a discarded robot. I, I feel like that leaves a lot out. Um, now, literally, like, because the, the plot... Oh, no, go ahead. The go plot ahead. is, I would, I would argue, mm. more conducive about the, the relationship of a deadbeat father with his estranged son, and there's yeah. robots punching each other. I mean, it's hard to ignore the giant robots punching each other, and just, like, it would, the IMDb would be wrong to say a deadbeat father reunites with his long-lost son to, to bond over their mutual But then they could be, like, to bond over a boxing. robot. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be, I think that'd be more accurate. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I mean again, revisiting this was quite interesting. Um Okay. First and foremost, uh just from a character perspective, a lot of them are cookie cutter, but they're like the sharpest cookie cutters, I feel like Ooh. that that like, I see in these like sort of tropey films. The sharpest cookie cutters or the sharpest cookies? The sharpest cookie cutters because yeah. the 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 I mean, that's going to give you a nice clean edge on whatever shape cookie you're doing. And if you're doing angry, half-drunk, deadbeat ex-boxer, I mean, Hugh Jackman kind of has that nailed down. I, of I often forget, every Ooh. time I watch this movie, I have the same reaction of forgetting how much of a total dickbag he is. Like he's <laughs> In the movie, his In character. the movie. He's yeah. such a the uh, Charlie is such a fucking just scumbag. My phone even knows it and is blowing up. Like, and and it's funny because you do kind of or the movie's supposed to make you. And I feel like I do change as as the film goes. But like for the first thirty five to forty minutes, like you're just like this dude. Fuck this dude. Like uh, he sells his son in the first few minutes, right? Sells, like, and with no remorse, he sells <laughs> his son. It's it's fucking insane. Anyway, um, but I again, I think like you know, it's it's a it's a uh, trope, I would say, but a very sharply done trope. It's not shocking me in any way. Same with the way that the son sort of is. Same with the way Evangeline Lilly, um, uh, his character sort of rolls through, um. Nothing is nothing is surprising to me, um, but I don't think that matters. Like this is a um, how do I put it? Um, I, it? It's it's a cinematic balm, I guess. Um, when when everything is getting too heavy and and you need something that can actually like not only distract but like sort of lull you into a place of comfort. I do feel like this movie does it for me, uh, okay. and I do feel like there is some skill in doing that because oftentimes when something is as cheesy as Real Steel is, I reject it. So there has to be something – I reject it in the sense of uh, letting it emotionally affect me and not on purpose. Mm. It just doesn't pierce doesn't pierce the armor. Um, right. Yeah, so I, I guess on that note, Shahir, I'm guessing you – didn't like it that much. Hmm. I I I wanted to uh, sort of 
discuss this with like maybe defining a few terms first. And one of them was oh, we you know, do like, great with I, terms. Yeah, yeah. One of them was cheesy. Actually, I, I kind of sat down and I was like, what does cheesy mean? Hmm. Because I thought about it in relation to like a lot of the, the conversation we're going to have is is going to be in relation to Warrior, the Gavin O'Connor film. I Which think everyone I, should see. I can't remember if I've seen. I, I and it's funny because it came out in the same time, and I have the the way you're describing your feelings for Real Steel. I think I will describe for Warrior, which is a movie that I think really works. Um, I think is it, every element of Warrior it shouldn't work. It is it is every element is a trope in Warrior, but somehow that movie manages to render them authentically. Mm. Like there is, you know, like there's an alcoholic father, two brothers reuniting. It's a, it's a, it's an MMA movie. It's a sports movie, you know, kind of with the typical tropes of sports ascension, you know, uh, all that stuff, but it somehow renders them authentically. So the, the definition of cheesy that I kind of, a working definition that I sort of came up with was, um, uh, excess sentimentality of familiar emotions rendering it inauthentic so something that 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 is familiar and somehow because of its rendering becomes inauthentic and i think i can nail down it's kind of interesting because with that definition and i don't disagree with it i think i can nail down the the the, the it's the actual script that mm. does that that sort of breaks to that thing to make something inauthentic i think the actors in this are actually like kind of pulling the needle back and it hits like a sort of like uh, a, a sort of like mid to still kind of cheesy tone. Like again, the character of Bailey, uh, Evangeline Lilly is yeah. like, it's a thankless role. It's a, thankless <laughs> it's a really role, thankless but like, role. I'm interested in Bailey and they do nothing with Bailey. And they yeah. basically make Bailey a cipher to talk about how amazing Charlie is. If Charlie would just stop being a dipshit. Like, <laughs> and I kind of would rather, I, I do wish, but but I think I wish there was more to know about Bailey. But that's not the script doing that. That's Evangeline Lilly, and and to be honest, the world that the movie presents, both in set design and art direction, and a couple other things that I think sort of push me in that direction more so than like, oh, let me show you this newspaper clipping of when your father wasn't a douche, like. <laughs> You know, so, so like the, I do think the, it's the actual writing that is the cheesiest part of Real Steel, and there's boxing CG robots. <laughs> um, so there's an interesting thing, which is that, um, I, and again, I will sort of counter this with at all times with saying I think Warrior, for example, is doing exactly the same thing, but I find I find personally that Warrior sort of stayed on the this side of cheesy where everything got rendered authentic and this just just ever so slightly slipped onto that side of cheesy where everything felt inauthentic and but it was very it was very slight i can see why you like this movie and i can see why people would like this movie like i i think this movie functions perfectly fine i think the the things that don't work for me are fairly subtle um and i and i, and I want to go into some detail here about what doesn't work for me here but but i can kind i can see that in terms of like again, if we compare it to to Warrior, if we compare it to Rocky, if we compare it to almost any sports movie, it has the same familiar beats. Mm-hmm. It it renders them pretty well. Um, it kind of delivers on the expectation that that the movie sets up. Nothing is surprising about this movie, but it delivers every beat that it sets out to deliver. And that is basically the the sports ascension story, the story of you know like someone who is. Um, entering a world of uh, a sport that they're not necessarily good at uh, to begin with, but eventually, like you know, come up the 
ranks and mm-hmm. gets a shot at the title ring. You know, like Eight Mile is a great example of this as well. Uh, and no less, this features the uh, the music of uh, of Eminem. Uh-huh. Um, I think the absentee father story is, you know, um, signaled really early on. And, and you're right, he plays uh, a, a sort of completely... Um, a douchebag dad right from the get-go and we know immediately um, that the the story of this film is really going to be him falling in love with his son again and and kind of creating that bond that French that 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 relationship with his son and you know and then um, and then there's there's a little bit of a play of the the the, the sentient robot or the, you know the absentee parent that kind of gets thrown into there through the through the robot um it, it it doesn't really quite go anywhere but it's there so and we're sort of sort of asking questions about it and i think it's sort of fine to kind of play it where it does on that note um, uh just because you brought it up uh adam the robot the the trash robot that eventually becomes uh the main robot of um of max and charlie i think this is this is and i was reminded of this when i watched it one of the things I think makes this movie special is not only do they never sort of answer is the robot sentient or not, but they they any time that they try to anthropomorphize or or even not beyond I guess not anthropomorphize it's uh you know act like the robot's more than a robot right than a remote controlled being it is all done with perspective it is not done with actions of the robot. It is left in precarious positions due to the cinematography, etc., to make you think that the robot might actually have something going on other than just being a robot. Like, it shows a shot of it sitting, and its eyes are on, and then it shows that shot in a mirror. And you could take that as, oh, the robot's looking at itself in the mirror. But it's not. Like, it's all all the stuff that we as human beings bring Mm. in. It's yeah. not something that the movie is actively saying, but it's like it's letting you do it. And I think yeah. that is my favorite way to play this. I think this movie actually for it's this is almost like the the keystone for me, I think, in this entire thing. I don't think this movie would land if they ever definitively sort of said one or the other if they had that movie, if they had that plot. But I yeah. love the way they handle the not knowing. Yeah. Um I, I think I think it's played pretty well. And it, and again, for the most part. I think most, you know, like again, most of this film is played really well. When it, when I say it falls over into cheesy, I think it takes one step over the line, and and only one step. You know, like for me personally, it kind of like it's it's just kind of just so there's some things that don't quite land for me about this movie. Was it when the robot was fighting the bull? <laughs> well, that was interesting. That was an interesting moment. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> Like when the robot punches a bull in the face, I was like, "Oh, this okay? That's what this movie? All right." Cool. Two thousand eleven. Jamie watched it with me. Jamie was like, "I hate this fucking movie," and I was like, <laughs> "It's not just." I, uh. <laughs> the other thing is that this this movie is rendered in the sort of gold and blue hues of a Michael Bay film that is no less being produced around this period. You know, you think about films like uh, Battleship that came out as well, or well, um, and there's all the Transformers movies. Transformers. You know, like, and, and, and it, what it sort of got me thinking about is, like, the franchises that never quite made it. Mm. And, like, you can see this movie becoming a franchise. Like, there's in, there's, interestingly, this movie, it made uh, $300 million off a $100 million budget, you know, like, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only its release on Netflix that seems to be garnering it some sort of uh, a resurgence in, in some respects. But, you know, like, it's not a movie that really found its audience. Um, no. 
I like that, you know, and it's produced by Spielberg and Zemeckis, so it's got that sort of, like, um, we're aiming for a franchise. I know Spielberg has been trying to do an adaptation of Robopocalypse for a long time, the book, and and I I feel like this, along with Transformers, was sort of testing the waters of that. Um, And... And you know, I, like like I like one one thing about it is you know Sean Levy is a director who um, whose whose films are very likable. Uh, I I've never felt like they've 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 quite headed out the park for me, mm-hmm. but they're all very likable. Like I really like Night at the Museum. Did a his bunch of Stranger, Stranger things, things too. Yeah, yeah. yeah his yeah. work on Stranger Things, like I, I really like as well. He's you know he's really strong strong filmmaker. Free Man is coming out later this year, um, with uh, well probably next year with. Uh, um, Taika, I'm just saying Taika's in it, but also Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I, I'm oh, you mean, you like mean Free Taika. Guy? Free Guy, Free Guy, yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, but but there's an, I, I think to me, there's that question that you brought up about Hugh Jackman. And I, and I um, over at the Blank Check podcast, they've been doing a series on Robert Zemeckis recently, and they've been talking about uh, Back to the Future. And Back to the Future has one of the most famous sort of uh, instances of recasting a role in the history of cinema. Yes. You know, where um, uh, Eric Stoltz was replaced by um, Michael J. Fox for, uh, throughout that, uh, after six weeks of filming or something like that. And... And I thought the reason I was thinking about that because Blank Chick has this sort of conversation about the distinction between an actor and a movie star, and they talk a little bit about in that in in that particular case, um, of Back to the Future, what they got with Eric Stoltz was kind of an actor trying to make sense of that role, and what they really needed was a movie star to kind of sell that role. Sure, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a sort of thing, and. Hugh Jackman has always been this sort of interesting enigma for me, which is that he he kind of looks like The Rock. He's devilishly handsome. He's, you know, he's 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 a bigger than life sort of presence on screen. But I've always felt like he's an uncomfortable movie star, which is to say, I think his bitter roles have been where he's actually I, I feel like he sometimes not not to say these things can be mutually exclusive, but he's an actor forced into being a movie star in which case i say a movie like prisoners for example is a is an actor's role it's not a movie star's role and it's one where he really eats it up and he's bigger than that movie but he's but he's so good that he really sells it i think he's he you know he's to me his best wolverine is logan where it doesn't require a movie star it requires an actor and 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 in this particular case, I think what this movie needs is a is a movie star. It needs like one of the Chris's. It needs Chris Pine. It needs Chris Pratt. It needs Chris Hemsworth. It needs that sort of like that person who can just get in there and sell the shit out of us. And and I think I feel like Hugh Jackman's not quite that guy in this scenario. Like he he's he's never been quite that guy for me. I I mean, um, I, I can't say whether or not he's that guy for you in general. I hard disagree on what this movie is trying to do versus what Hugh Jackman does. I think they are simpatico like, uh, I, I, like peas and carrots, If, if it my works friend. for you, it works for you. But I, I just think that this is this is a lovable rogue, you know, who's meant to be as despicable as he is, but with a kind of charisma that really sells it. You know, like that makes you feel it. And I... I don't, I've just, I, with Hugh Jackman, I've just never quite bought the outward movie star version of Hugh Jackman. I think, Um, and I don't want to, I guess, before I kind of respond in in full, I kind of want to have you go down the rabbit hole of movie star versus actor. 
Right. And again, they're not mutually exclusive. They, you know, there are many people who can kind of do both things really well. And and I, I mentioned the the Eric Stoltz, Michael J. Fox kind of thing, which is that you need someone like in, in the case of the Michael J. Fox thing, you need someone who can just come in and acknowledge how silly this role yep, is yep, yep, yep. and not try to bring depth to it, but really sell the shit out of it as as a character as a, as a as like a performance right and that's an and it's actor really hard or a movie star and that's a movie star to me like michael j fox in back to the future is a movie star i think you're just describing acting that resonates with you on an emotional level versus not an actor's performance that doesn't no well i think i think it's a very subtle thing but for example i think you know like uh chris pratt in guardians of the galaxy i think you know does a movie star role like he's he he brings that sort of that 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 sheen and polish to that where no matter what that person does on film i'm just like enamored by the the performance that works for me and it's a surface level performance like and it's it's you know he does the same thing in jurassic world and i think oh, he's really? good at that yeah. See, I see interestingly really enough, I, oh, I do too. I don't think he achieves that in Jurassic World. Um, but I would also put Star-Lord's, the performance of Star-Lord up with, with the performance of Charlie in this thing. Like, I feel like they're very on par. Uh, it's a on... really, a, a, again, it is a really subtle thing that I'm sort of describing here. And it's that one degree that kind of works or doesn't work for me. I find the, the sort of, like, for example, there's a scene where uh, Evangeline Lilly is kind of saying, oh, don't do that thing, you know, and, and, and Hugh Jackman is, like, smiling and kind of doing, you know you like this thing, right? Uh, you know, she, you can pretend you don't like this thing, but I know you like it. You know, like, he's giving that sort of, like, movie star smile. Mm-hmm. And and I, there's something just about that where I was like, man, I, I can see what they're going for, and I know Hugh Jackman knows what it is, but, but he's not quite... I I just feel like cast like one degree differently. This is like completely workable. One degree with Hugh Jackman, I'm like, mm, I'm I'm sort of there. I'm not quite there. I, it's 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 good, but it's not like you know landing for me. I I don't know if there's a uh, a device uh, precise enough to measure what you're describing based on the uh based on the examples you've given outside of Hugh Jackman. Uh and again, it it, it comes down to personal taste. It sounds like you don't gravitate toward Hugh Jackman when he is sort of like the leading man in a I would say like a blockbustery-esque film. Yeah, like take Swordfish for example. Swordfish is a movie where he's supposed to play like this lovable absentee father, rogue dad who also happens to be an amazing hacker. Yep. And it's like one where I just like, man, if you just cast this slightly differently, you know, that that I could really buy that. But sure. because he cast Hugh Jackman, who I just don't think is quite that. And again, I love me I love Hugh Jackman. I like again. Doesn't pr- sound like you love Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman in Prisoners or I think his best role is um his best role uh, to me, is one that really heightens this this tension, which is uh, when he plays Angier in uh, The Prestige. I think that because he's a guy who's supposed to be playing a movie star or, you know, like a, a big star in that, but has this underlying tension to him. Right, right, right. And I think that's where that's where Hugh Jackman really, really works. And I, I'm not sure that Hugh Jackman's can sell the kind of like is is the perfect surface level that you need for this. Like when he when he walks into the when he walks into the um the uh the the courtroom with his sunglasses on his jackman's is like oh i gotta you know i'm here to like uh you know sign some papers for my kid or something i'm kind of like i don't quite 
it feels like an affectation. It doesn't feel like oh, that's the kind of thing. Whereas I think Chris Pratt could pull that off. Yeah. And I think like, you know, Chris Prine could pull that off. I mean, your 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 examples are, are, are things and I don't want to come off as a as a Hugh Jackman stand at all. Uh I really I dislike love I really dislike Swordfish. I dislike his performance in Swordfish. I don't buy it. Yeah. Again, yeah. I buy this one. And I and look, I don't know if it's because of all of the other disparate things that go into making a movie in this business we call show. But uh yeah. it, it, it does. Also, uh I think I'm one of um, a, a few people, I think I'm in the minority here, that thinks The Greatest Showman is pure trash. Um, right. I, I haven't seen that. I'm very curious because that, like, there's this other side to Hugh Jackman, which is that he is a fantastic you know, singer, dancer kind of thing. So I'm like, oh, maybe that's kind of where this would work. But I, I just... And I granted, this, Hugh, this... Hugh Jackman in that film isn't necessarily the problem. There's a lot of other problems in that right, film. Right, right, right. Can yeah. save I that haven't seen it yet. Time. I mean, I would suggest not... <laughs> but I, look it's it's one degree different for me one degree where i'm just kind of like mm, I, I just i could kind of see that i could i could see this what i want to see is less uh i, I want to see more polished to the kind of like grandiose performance to this like i want to see a bigger a bigger performance i just thought that's it was like pretty flashier big. and that kind of like sells it a little bit more. I there's just something about this that doesn't this doesn't quite blend for me. I, I think um, it fits the exact mold of I guess we'll call it bigness or or whatever whatever the again, let's go back to the cookie cutter analogy. I think Hugh Jackman pours himself into the perfect cookie cutter mold for the character of Charlie. <laughs> Uh, I, and and I will make I, I I'm not I don't want to discourage anyone from saying that. I, I don't want to say Hugh Jackman is giving a bad performance here. I'm really talking about casting because I, I think Hugh Jackman knows what kind of movie he's in as well and plays to the movie string. I just think that there's just this sort of like yeah the vapidness that's required here. Like vapidness sounds like a pejorative term. I guess I'm I'm saying this kind of like sells the. The not the silliness of it, but like sells the you know really understands what kind of lovable rogue he's supposed to be here. I mean, and, I feel like I got those moments right. Like I especially, um, you know, it's funny uh, the the way that he's a super douche in the beginning. He literally sells his kid. He makes quick deals. He does the um, he he keeps making poor. Like you actually f fall into the fact that okay, yeah, old boxer, sure, whatever. He sucks at being a robot <laughs> and he's boxer. Really, he's he's re like there's an interesting thing which is that he's really dumb a lot of times he's like he really does a lot of dumb. He does a lot of dumb things. And I and I kept thinking, oh the film's going to like play out why he does dumb things. But it never quite does. He's just dumb, right? That's like he the just Yeah, and I I kind of like that. Like some just I mean, look, we've all worked with people in different jobs that probably shouldn't be there, but are there due to the way the <laughs> the winds have shifted. Uh, and that felt very real to me. Also, I love that he, only when he starts reconciling a little bit with his kid, does he actually start making smart decisions or smarter decisions. Smarter um, decisions, yeah. Uh, Granted, and then the, I, I now I will um, I will sing a, a a not praise about this film. Something I noticed this time, and I just hadn't noticed in the previous four or five times I'd watched this movie. So, as they progress, and they like actually, it, actually the flip flop is actually when they get Adam 
Because before, Hugh Jackman's Charlie is making a ton of bad decisions while he takes his son Max on the road to do robot boxing. He just, like, spent the money he got for selling his kid on Noisy Boy, who is an ex-like... And destroys uh, him. Yeah, and just <laughs> ruins him. And the kid's like, this is stupid. Don't take this bet. You're an idiot. Don't do this. Don't take this bet. And Hugh Jackman's like, rah, 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 I know what I'm doing. Of course he loses, right? That happens a couple times. And then... When Adam comes and they go to that zoo fight area where they – like the super underground. Just when you think this movie can't get any more underground or hillbilly, it it tries real hard. <laughs> and, uh, and it plays a different Eminem track. And yeah. uh, then it's then where Hugh Jackman and the boy and, and Max, Max and Charlie's roles flip for no apparent reason other than <sighs> – other than Max, like, believes it. It's weird. It's a different kind of belief. In the first part and, of the movie, the, Charlie believes that he knows what's up because he's the best. In the second half of the movie, Max believes he knows what's up because he believes in Adam in that own, in that way that only a child really can. But the dynamic flips, and it is a bit jarring to have the man who's been like, yeah, let's get all the money. Let's do it, do it, do it. Be like, whoa, let's not, let's haggle over $200. Like, there's, there's a weird, there's a weird flop. Yeah, there's a weird flow, and I uh, and I feel like what you need there is um, sort of a, a slightly less restrained performance from someone who can, you know, and and this is where again where you I are think just Chris, shitting on Hugh Jackman. This is where Chris Pratt is good at this sort of thing. <laughs> like Chris Pratt, and you know, all the Chris's there. You know, there's that thing that went around like, which Chris would you get rid of? It's uh, Pine, Hemsworth, Pratt, and what was the other Evans? Who was the other Evans, yeah, yeah. And I feel like. Yeah, this is a this is the kind of role where I think Chris Pratt could really sell the shit out of this. I think and I like, would hate Chris Pratt in and, this role. And, and could sell the shit out of that flip flop in the way that's like, okay, I don't I don't quite understand, but I'll I, I'll go along with it because you're kind of, and 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 there's just like when you when I watch Hugh Jackman in this role, I kind of go, I think the character as played by Hugh Jackman knows that he's being dumb and still does it anyway. And and I'm not, you know, whereas I want a character who doesn't realize they're being dumb and just is dumb. There's this like, I, what I'm saying is Hugh Jackman feels too smart to be this character. I just, I, I feel like I would dislike Charlie if, uh, if um, Chris Pratt played him. Because Chris, Pla- I'm, I'm Chris using Pratt, Chris Pratt as a cipher here, not but, but Chris, Pratt Chris Pratt plays a certain, kind of... a certain kind of this character, and I don't think that certain kind of this character would actually work here. It might actually break it up for me a little bit. I guess what I'm saying is, I I don't I, I want that sort of more glossy, less behind the eyes kind of performance where, and it's big enough and it's right enough to kind of work within this world. And I mean, I think we got it. <laughs> But that's... Uh, well, I I mean, look, I again, I like Hugh Jackman. I think he's like, he's he's pretty good in this movie. But but <laughs> but I but I but I was just like, I just go, yeah. I just think this is he's playing a different character to what I think the movie needs this character to be. Hugh, email us in onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail dot com. Let us know uh, if you appreciate Shahir's critiques, if there's some truth <laughs> to them, um, or how much you uh, you know. Really dove into the role of uh, of Charlie here because Charlie, uh, there you go. It's um, the other the other thing that just um, in terms of like that step over the line in terms of cheesiness. Danny Elfman, as much as I love the man, I think this is a movie that was just scored so badly. Uh, you in know terms what's of, like it just scored so big and so OTT and so it's like 
Uh, the, like when they're telling you, man, this is the moment where these people are really starting to fall in love with each other. I was like, this is the moment. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm uh, not feeling this. Farron, here's the deal. I totally 100 percent agree. Especially the final, the final fight. I, was like, oh, I agree boy. with everything you're saying. It yeah. felt correct for the movie. Like I, it, I, it, it, it for me, and I just gotta say it. Like sometimes I just want to take the fast lane. Sometimes <laughs> I just want to do the expressway to the emotion that I know that this movie is trying to elicit. And this did it. Am I going to think about the score of Real Steel? No. Do I think it's hilarious that Danny Elfman is doing the music for a robot boxing movie? Uh-huh. And, using, and throwing in some of the cues from Goodwill Hunting there in there every now and again as well. Yeah. It, 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 to me, the problem is the fast lane takes me off the rails. And it's like, it just... Oh, you got to get better it, tires. Yeah, it's just... I'm 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 off the like I'm out of here on this one. The the I think the other thing is um then finally there so this is adapted from a Richard Matheson story yeah. uh which uh, I posted today was uh, also adapted into a Twilight Zone uh piece as well. I think there's a thing there's a fun you know th- there's no way to suggest you know like I think for this they took the bones of the of the Richard Matheson story and then just extrapolated it out into its own film. Um in the Richard Matheson story the 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 understanding of why boxing has been outlawed and why we're using robots is really the main component of that story. Mm-hmm. You know, they're basically saying people are getting hurt too much. People wanted carnage, so we wanted so we brought in uh, boxes. They sort of mentioned that very loosely here, but there was something about the fighting where I was like, these are giant robots, and they're pretty much just doing boxing. Like, there's a little bit of, like, interesting things that only robots can do, but it's not like um, robot battles where, like, suddenly someone brings out, like, a katana or someone, like, has, like, a spinning blade or anything. There's there's pretty much boxing robots. And I was like, and I was like, ah, was there there more opportunity? Because my point there is that I didn't find the fights particularly engaging. Oh, really? I was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I was like, especially towards the end where... It goes into like boxing montage pretty hard towards the end, yeah, like round after round. I was like, oh boy, and I was like, oh, n- nothing about these fights is like surprising. I really appreciate the restraint because the second you do robots, then you're going to do buzz saws and flamethrowers and and just like dumbass shit. And we already were kind of getting that in the space between Iron Man and Transformers when this came out, and, and Pacific and, Rim, and Pacific Rim, right? <laughs> yeah. Like. And side note, this is a time period, I guess, between 2009 and probably 2011 or 12, when for whatever reason, and it's weird, I think it's actually gotten worse in most feature films that that that, that basically show heavy machinery, especially anthropomorphic machinery. There's a certain weight and and design to like how not only the CGI functions, but the skeletal structure, the way it sort of feels like it actually exists in the world and is heavy, and the texturing. Something that was in Iron Man 1 and 2 and a little in 3 and then eventually felt like it got lost as the yeah, Avengers yeah. movies went forward. And I know every robot in this film was designed both a CG component and a full prop component. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, Seth Reed and his art team, uh, art direction-wise, I think actually took the the limitations and and worked very I, uh, of robots only boxing and actually used that to their advantage in the sense of when you have such a limited scope and you can't like have you know uh finger spikes shoot out and mm-hmm. uh lasers going off the side like when you're limited in that way 
I thought that they, the, the design of not only the robots themselves, but the arenas and just sort of the, the actual world design of the entire movie really felt almost like more real than the story did. Like, uh, like it, it felt, the, everything felt complete down to like the weird sort of like branded logo on his truck to the way that the truck sort of functioned as a workshop, like all over the place, like to the, uh, like, I really loved the weird, like Americana between bouts where they're just like driving. Mm. Um, and, and, and the gym felt like an actual, like failing. I don't know. Like everything felt real and lived in, which yeah. I think helps these cookie cutter characters feel more special. And, and, and actually did give, uh, the boxing matches for me weight, both literally and figuratively. I think I think they're really um, they're really well executed from a visual effects point of view. Like they're, um, and I think this is um, a, a friend of mine worked on Tintin. So Spielberg is obviously a producer. on A this. friend of mine worked on Tintin. Oh, did it? Okay, there you go. Um, and and you know they talked uh, talked me through the the technology that the motion capture technology that they use for Tintin. Um, and I, and I think a little bit of that was deployed here, but basically, essentially, it's pretty it's pretty rad where you take an actor and you put them in this sort of uh, room with three sixty cameras all around them, uh, and, you know, like up, down, left, right, every every angle is covered, mm-hmm. and you put them in motion tracking suits, and then they they basically. They don't think about the camera at all because every camera is um, is filming them at all times. So they just record the performance. So the director just gets in there, Spielberg, uh, Peter Jackson, and uh, as well as working the same thing, you know, and just directs the performance. And they then what they do is they cut up the entire movie with just the motion capture performance in in its entirety. So they're just looking at at how the actors are, are timed and, and interacting with each other. They they cut the entire movie in that. Then the CG artist comes in, uh, CG, CG team comes in and can basically create real life models that can be placed over the actors mm-hmm. and in the same room. And what happens is the director can then go in with a virtual camera and basically reshoot those the, the, the scenes, but without having to direct the performance at all. So they're just directing the camera now. And... I think they use some of the same technology here in the, some of the behind-the-scenes things where they've rendered out the, the, the virtual fighting, but they can go in and just shoot it and still see where the robots are going to be. And so what happens is a real camera person with a real camera is actually shooting those fighting scenes. Um, and so there's a kind of wait to like how the camera operator reacts yeah. to a moment or yeah. how, and then finally, because they're shooting a, in a real environment, how that real environment gets reflected onto the CG character. I, I think this film demonstrates like a real degree of not just restraint, but a real understanding of like, what do I need to do to make this work? You know, like I think Pacific Rim, for example, goes in the exact opposite direction, which is like, I'm, you know, we can do like any camera move, any sweeping camera move here as possible. So we're just going to do it. You know, yeah. like cameras like scale in from the biggest wide shot into like the tiniest close up within one move because they can't. And I think there's a place for that. But but I think this movie actually depicts like a really good restraint on that. I just I, I just was like the, the designs of the robots were so um, interesting and big. And, and the and the fact that they've got robots fighting now. I was like, why are they just still just sort of boxing? You know, like, and, and then it's the actual different. fights were just like, eh, 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 you know. They no, were I liked good. it. They had one of them had a sledgehammer. The other one had Zeus had like hydraulics. Twin yeah. Cities had two heads for better punching. For, um, yeah, for some reason. Uh, Noisy Boy had all like a bunch of like Japanese words in, uh, in neon on him saying like chaos and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> 
um, I don't know. I, I dug it. I dug it. I, I mean, look, my, my sort of overall thought is I can see this movie working. And, and in a way, because it never... Re- it, I mean, it made its money. There's potential that it's going to become a sequel. Let's make some um, money. Yeah, let's make some money. Uh, but it, but at the same time, like it is the undercard against a lot of other movies around that period. And as such, you can kind of easily look at it and go, well, there's a lot of reasons I, you know, I think the Transformers movies don't work. And this is an example of where I think something like that actually really does work. And to me, the only thing is, is that it slips this, the story of the father son thing, the story of the, the, the sort of ascension of, you know, the sport, the sport boxing movie ascension trope. It just kind of like, it just takes one degree over the line in a direction that I was kind of like, yeah, you know, take it or leave it. I'm going to leave it here. And I but would I, posit that that one degree is actually what makes it special. Really? Okay, so what what is that one degree of cheese let's, let's that you say, enjoy? Let's say, oh, it's kind of all the things I've said before, but I'd like to couch it in a in, in what you are saying. Because, again, nothing you are saying, in my opinion, is inaccurate. It's our reactions to the things that you yeah. are saying that is the differing factor. I think, let's say, for, for the sake of argument, because I think it's more true than it's not, that your gauge that you've just described is correct, okay? There's no, it's, uh, but, it's, but, but no, I, I want it's to, not objective. No, 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 but I, 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 I kind of want it to be for the sort of analogy I'm about to, to, to yeah. put out. The fact that it is one degree or two degrees over that, like, too cheesy line, mm-hmm. and it still emotionally resonates with me, is a sort of um, beautiful anomaly. Yeah. And it, I, and I can only piece it together and try to figure out like how that is functioning uh, around. It, it, it's something. Here, this will be how I think I sort of end my thought on it. That ability for me to have that reaction, knowing about that gauge, can only be done in film, maybe yeah. video games, but <laughs> but but it's it's the it's the it's because it is such a team-based sport for lack of a better term there's so much going on and there's so many decisions made with so many uh craftspeople and and professionals that are like taking a ridiculous thing and making it actually like work beyond its means and it 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 like saves itself from bad writing in my opinion the world building is really top-notch the yes the 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 characters are the most standard nonsense cookie cutters you can possibly think of, but the actors are, I think, are working their asses off. Like, yeah, there's a there's a thing with Evangeline Lilly at the end where I was like, man, this is a thankless role, but she's uh-huh. really going for it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I um, yeah, I think it is the fact that it does go over that edge, and I'm. I'm cool hanging off that chasm with the arm of a buried Adam holding me up until Hugh Jackman can come rescue me in the rain. I really, you know, the interesting thing about what you've just said is I would love to see you. I I would love to get your reaction on Warrior because I think Warrior does the exact same thing for me, which is that I think I can see Warrior being like one degree over the edge for a lot of people. But again, I hang over the chasm of Warrior and be like, this movie fucking nails it for me. Well, maybe like, uh, if people sign up to the Patreon that doesn't exist, um, <laughs> then we'll do Warrior sometime. Because it would think, be an interesting... Should, War- like, what's so funny about it is 2011, fighting movie, father-son relationship, Shahir and Matt, opposite sides of the spectrum. I've watched Warrior at least five times. 
I Warrior <laughs> is a comfort movie for me when I feel like I want to feel things. I want to feel the feels. And there are moments in Warrior which are are ridiculous. Yeah. And it is it's it's just so like I I just couldn't shake the feeling that 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 the distinction between you and I is Real Steel is that movie for you and Warrior is that movie for me. Okay. And I'm really curious for for those who have seen both um, like what the diff- how those differences play out and what they mean to you. Um, write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail or hit us up at onlymoviepod. Yeah, we and, have uh, we have we should give the last word, I guess, to our call in, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, like yeah, uh, as Tristman had written us in, Tristman I think has been so excited about doing this. At, <laughs> at some point, I believe he pitched us doing this movie and 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 so we thank you for 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 pitching it we're glad it came on netflix i'm i'm you know i was nervous to talk about it but i think knowing how i felt about warrior kind of gave me the spectrum for how to react to it being somebody else's movie in that duration i don't think real steel is a bad movie at all by the by any way i just it just just one degree for me can we uh, figure out why oh before that sorry just we can why was this number three on netflix at one point i was trying to do some research and figure it out and the closest thing i could think of was that it does take place in 2020 I think I mean look I'm 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 only speculating here but I think you know we have seen um this year we don't have we didn't have a summer blockbuster season right Yeah and this is a movie that delivers the kind of spectacle of a summer blockbuster you can get it in your home um there, there there's nothing and you know like uh I mentioned the sort of Michael Bay aesthetic to it uh, a little earlier mm-hmm. the thing about it versus the Michael Bay aesthetic is the Michael Bay aesthetic makes you feel bad often for watching it because of the <laughs> yeah. sexu- like just the the exploitation of the of the of the imagery of that's out on and the fetishization of everything whereas i think this has the sort of the the really pristine shiny uh gold and and uh golden blue hues but you don't feel bad for enjoying the sheen on this like it feels like yeah that's a big movie I like the way that looks. You know, like it's got that. I just think it kind of it collaborates that in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I I mean I I do like the movie for the most part. I can see why it works. It doesn't quite work for me, but it's like it's inoffensive. <laughs> and I will say it works a hundred percent for me. Uh, it makes me feel the feels every single time, despite its ridiculous cheesiness. And uh, again, weighty, weighty metal things really actually do a lot for me on screen. <laughs> but let's see what Tersman uh, has to say. What is up, Internet? Wait, nope, that's plagiarism. What is up, guys? Hope you're having a great day. Is it me or is there less bullshit in the air ever since the election ended? Eh, it could just be me. Anyways, I want to pop in and say that Real Steel was one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, we have lower standards over here at Tersman Co., but as a child growing up on sports films, to see a giant spectacle punch fest like it on the big screen, it was spectacular. And the relationship that develops between Charlie, Max, and Adam is one that'll hold dear forever. Even now, as an adult, I can appreciate the really well-done CGI that went into the movie, as well as a mostly tight script, and some really great directing out of Sean Levy, who's also making the Free Guy movie coming out eventually but anyways i'll let you guys get back to the podcast i just want to thank you again for doing this review ever since i wrote it as a joke in one of my old reviews all the way back in december i knew there'd be something to talk about and it turns out i'm right but thanks again guys this is terse man signing off 
Oh, and thank you for not cutting out Matt's opening song at the beginning of the La La Land episode. It's my favorite opening to any episode ever, and I do have multiple recordings of a cover that will never see the light of day. Or maybe it will. Anyway, have a great episode, guys. Oh, Matt, have you got a La La Land uh, song for uh, Real Steel that you could do? Real Steel. Robots punching each other. No, that is actually one of my favorite things we've ever done, so I'm glad that that is that Tourist Man is a fan. Yeah, I remember when this was said back in... So, so real steel. I'm gonna go back even a little further. Give it a little more thing. I remember when he he suggested it, mm-hmm. but real steel goes back even farther than our podcast. Shahir, real steel um, was a, was a, a staple, and the the call out of let's make some money was a was a Steve Buja Matt Kroll special back in uh, same night movie review times. Yeah. Um, so that is something like, and then I remember when Tersmith suggested we do it. I'm like, oh no! I'm like, this <laughs> this will happen one day. But we had to wait. We had to wait to make it uh, chronologically correct. Um, I I think of everything that Tersmith said there. I, I I I can see you know like the, the the sort of spectacle of fighting again. I sort of had my qualms about like whether there should have been more more extravagance to the fight like more robotness to the fighting or more more things that only robots could do uh but but the only thing that i sort of didn't quite land is the the relationship between the father and son thing just you know telegraph from the from the very beginning kind of know where it's going to go it's not it's not bad but it just you know it's it's nothing surprising for me you know what's great about um, a telegraph <laughs> you know the message you receive it in the end <laughs> yeah <laughs> But also, how old is Tourist Man? Given like he so he spoke about his being an adult now, so he must have been a kid well, when he, he saw I, it. I think he's in his twenties. So like he was a he oh. was a, he was like a child child when he saw it. When I was just a man child when, <laughs> when I saw it. You were a man child when he saw it, and I was a man child when I saw Warrior. Tourist Man, watch Warriors. Come back to us and and see. I have a feeling that you will respond to Warrior in the same way that I'm responding. Would you be like, yeah, I respect that this is your movie, but it's not quite for me. Yeah, because I it think, doesn't I, have fucking robots punching each other. It does have MMA fighting. I mean, pretty, and it's got, it's got, it's got um, uh, Bane in uh, Tom Hardy in his most Bane without the mask. I don't. No one cared who he was until he put on the mask. Look, I don't, I don't like sports movies. That's the other weird thing about Real Steel. <laughs> I don't like sports movies. I don't like this cookie cutter shit. But I love this movie. It's also it's all but I I you know it's funny because the sports movie thing like I see a lot of esports in this movie I don't really see sports as much as I see esports that's fair you know it like might and just I, be I that wonder one if that's degree. just a different dynamic yeah but then again here's the thing I love esports as a concept and I have <laughs> really tried to like when when the Overwatch League came out uh, I actively tried to be, make sure I was home and watch the matches and find a team that I liked. Um, and I I can't yet. Like, there's no game right now that I am um, that I am hungry for enough in that way. And and right. esports is huge, and I, I I want it to keep growing and thriving. I am not trying to say it is a bad thing. It's just never connected with me, much like real sports haven't. Right. But there is something with the cookie cutterness of 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 real steel that like transcends me not liking the sports narrative. So I got um, I gotta say the 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 Tak Mashido and Farah Lim, Limkova characters. So I was so good. not. I was like so okay. Good. 
Yeah, so it's good. so, so bad. But no, <laughs> it's so good, good in the same way that Harry Osborn eats the pie in Spider-Man 3. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like it's these two are just so eating. Good. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Also, also the, the parents who... Well, you know, the, uh, James Reborn, who plays the uh, who plays the the wealthy uh, father, he's since passed away. Love him, love him in the game, uh, and Hope Davis. They're like they're predicated. This whole thing is that they she, they want to go to Italy, Tuscany for a vacation, but don't want to take the kid. Is that right? Well, the father, the... The, the, the guy was like, look, we're kind of going with this other couple and we're, we're definitely going to be like swinging. So like the kid's not really going to we're going to have a key party. Look, they got no I, I babysitters think... in Italy. <laughs> I mean, look, it's yeah, I, I like it's, it because it's a thing. It's a thing for the movie needs to happen. I like it because it sets him up as a scumbag, and it kind of sets her. You know what's funny? The movie tries to put the aunt in like a bad light, but she's only ever kind. So like, you don't. <laughs> but she did like she did like basically give him to her dad, his dad, who she knows to be a negligent father, right? But it, with the promise that that was the that was the con, contractual thing. It was just a summer. Yeah. Just, and he and he nearly kills him immediately. Not immediately. Like he, they have a he, they have a cue. But anyway, they, they drop. Hey. He drops him down a cliff. Hey. He no, takes he him into. They go into. They cliff. break into a place to steal parts, and then the kid falls down a cliff. Whatever. You get a school of hard knocks. Hey, everybody, <laughs> learn all of your parenting that you ever need to do from the film Real Steel. Terse man, thank you so much for your uh, voicemail in. Uh, yeah. I mean, this has been the only podcast about the film Real Steel. Shahir, when you are not, uh, thinking about ditching this whole filmmaking podcasting career and becoming the greatest robot boxer like no one ever was, where can folks find you? You can find me playing Battle of the Bots on my Nintendo 64 uh, on my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are engaging in a fierce battle of the four Chris's, where can people find you? You can find me voting Pratt off every time at <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Uh, also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by the time this comes out, Oh, Shahir. Oh, man. Our D&D one-shot over at Extra Credits is going to be live out. Uh, it was on Twitch before, actually live, and now we have like actually localized audio. It sounds really good. The production value is actually top-notch, and it's, it was a really great story written by our community manager, Arthur. So please go check that out and share you that around. Three letters and two words. I have no idea what they mean. Do you, well, uh... <laughs> uh Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop okay. role-playing game. Okay, uh, start, good start. So there I'm we there. go. A one-shot is when you only do a single campaign with or a single uh, sort of session with characters, so you make sure the story has a beginning, middle, and end that can happen then, and it's not like a campaign. Sorry, no, keep going. No, keep going. Uh, and douchebag <laughs> Sorry, no, no, is no, when going, your co-host yawns after he tells you he doesn't understand a thing and you try <laughs> to have your name. Anyway, um, <laughs> next week we'll be doing. Oh, we're we're gonna be doing the spiritual successor to Real Steel, uh, Citizen Kane, um, Citizen Motherfucking Kane, uh, with with the with the gentleman over at Uvra Busters, with the with the people over at Uvra Busters. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. This is anticipation of David Fincher's Mank. 
which is coming out on Netflix on December 4th. We want to dive deep into the history of Citizen Kane and the I, mythology of Orthan Wells. I'm, I'm prob- Did I say Orthan? I don't know Orthans? what you did. I, I'm going to try really hard to not just keep bringing up Real Steel. I make no promises. <laughs> um, Real Steel is the Citizen Kane of robot boxing movies, right? Oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that's 100% true. Um, anyway, uh, dearest listeners, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, or tweet at us onlymoviepod. Let us know what you think of Real Steel. Let us know if there's anything you'd like us specifically to talk about uh, uh, with about Citizen Kane, because this is one of those rare instances where we know a week in advance. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, write us in with any questions or things you want us to discuss. And until then... Rosebud. Noisy boy. It was his sled. <laughs> you just ruined it. You just ruined it for everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.